Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Medical Liability Minute. It's a podcast where we summarize modern medical legal threats to doctors in 15 minutes or less. And the reason we do this is so you can continue practicing great medicine with peace of mind. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Siegel, founder and CEO of Medical Justice, an organization dedicated to protecting doctors from frivolous lawsuits, internet libel, unwarranted demands for refunds, and a bevy of other medical legal threats. I'm joined today by my co-host, Mike Sakopoulos, who serves as our organization's general counsel. Glad to have you with us today, Mike. Thanks for uh, allowing me to, to join you. And I, I do have to say that I, I'm, I just note that the topics that we're going to be discussing, I think it's interesting that you called me in on this, but you can make whatever uh, decision out of that that you want. All right, so here is the topic. We're talking about medical legal liability and sex. And without further ado, I'm ready to start jumping in. Here we go. This is a case out of Tennessee, which ended up with a $2.3 million verdict, so not a small chunk of change. Uh, There's a 28-year-old woman who worked for a medical group as the assistant office manager. And this um, assistant... Uh, alleged that the internist, who was 59 years of old, uh, 59 years of age, sought a sexual relationship with her. So the office manager ultimately gave in and began a sexual relationship with the internist. The um, the uh, doctor ended the relationship two months later. Uh, I'm sorry, take that back. The the uh, office manager ended the relationship two months later. An important detail and the doctor promptly put her on leave of absence. And there was some proof that he would only let her return to work if she would agree to continue or pick up where the relationship ended. So the, um, the office manager gave in uh, for, a, uh, for a month or so. She said she was a single mother and she feared losing her job and um, that was the only way that she could support herself. So um, she ended the relationship a second time a month later, and the internist fired her. And you can well imagine what happened. There was a lawsuit where she alleged that uh, she had significant emotional symptoms, including weight loss, panic attacks, paranoia, uh, depression, um, and so on and so forth. So the allegation was this was a sexual uh, harassment type of case where there was a quid pro quo, namely that employment and opportunities to advance in the practice were contingent upon her dating the uh, the internist uh, as well as um, having uh, sex uh, with them. Anyway, the doctor said that the firing represented little more than a downsizing, and please, no puns uh, here, okay? All taking place in the volunteer state. <laughs> the volunteer state, and there was no underlying retaliatory uh, purpose. This is a case that... Um, lasted three days in court, and the jury rendered a $2.2 million in damage and damages. So a pretty hefty number. The internist, um, it may, it's either going to be the internist or the actual office filed for bankruptcy, and the plaintiff, in this case the office um, um, assistant, um, has challenged the ability to discharge the debt um, on the grounds that the internist conduct was willful and malicious. The bankruptcy litigation is pending. Need I say more than what a mess? And, 
both from the litigation and the personal standpoint, right? Just a total disaster. Yeah. So let's start with the obvious. Um, anytime you mix um, sex in the workplace and there's a perceived power dynamic, namely a um, a, uh, a boss and a um, and an underling, for lack of a better word, there's the potential of a problem because if the relationship does not continue into infinity, there's the opportunity to spin it in a different way. The the way one would spin it is saying, hey, look, um, I never wanted to have sex. I felt compelled to have sex. It wasn't voluntary. I needed it to keep my job or I needed it to advance in the business or I needed it to avoid being fired. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, so we recognize that um, that people in the workplace are human and attraction exists and um, I don't think that's ever going to change. The question is how to do it in a way that's safe. If it can't be done safely, then my argument is it should not be done at all. I agree with that. One of the things that um, is a, um, a way to potentially mitigate this because, well, in this particular case, there was an obvious uh, sexual relationship, but sometimes it's just uh, there's there's no sex involved at all, and it's just misconstrued. Namely, the um, the worker perceives that the the boss is making advances when, in point of fact, nothing is going on, and actually this is all a fabrication. This can also lead to litigation. So my my message here is that you need to look at your insurance policies do it as soon as you finish this uh, listening to this podcast and make sure that in addition to your general business liability coverage, you have a separate rider or separate policy called EPLI. That stands for Employment Practice Liability Insurance, EPLI. So what does it do? EPLI will pay typically up to a million dollars in both legal fees and judgment or settlement for behaviors related to uh, employment discrimination and sexual harassment is one of those buckets that is typically covered with EPLI. It also covers um, other types of workplace discrimination such as race, gender, disability, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's the, I know that Hartford has a policy. The policy is quite reasonable. I don't consider, this is definitely not in the same ballpark as professional liability coverage and you likely will never need it but if you need it you definitely want to have it because having to defend these types of cases uh, in court hiring, hiring your own attorney and or paying for the uh, for the judgment can set you back hundreds of thousands of dollars so um, I, my strong argument is to make sure you have this type of coverage uh, in place. So you brought up the situation where someone may feel that they are being pressured into a sexual relationship when that may not be the case. And something needs to be done to diffuse those problems. And so there are a couple of different um, thoughts here. One is that as part of the annual compliance, there should be some sexual harassment training. And these are available 
uh, oftentimes for free if you have insurance that the in insurance company will uh, provide these. Uh, or even on the internet, you can find some basic training, something that you can document that you've trained work, work staff on. And I think even more importantly is some way for people to anonymously report uh, that, they, that they're feeling uncomfortable or something that they've seen. And there are services out there, 800 services or, um, uh, or others that are separate from your practice that are anonymous so people can report without fear of, of retribution. And if you have that in place plus the training, you should go a long way to stemming off a problem. Yeah, frequently, um, certainly in larger organizations, you would have a written policy in place as to how to report alleged sexual harassment. And you would report it to someone that you report to, assuming that's not the individual. If that is the individual, you then go one step above and you'd have an opportunity to make sure action, well, that you, that you are heard and that action is taken. Um, by listening to the complaint and taking uh, remedial steps, you can often insulate yourself uh, at least your organization can insulate itself from the charge of sexual harassment by saying, look, I didn't know about it till they told me about it. Once I learned about it, I took it seriously, did a thorough investigation and took action. And this is uh, one way to potentially turn the evolving problem into less of a headache. Now, one thing that it's important to know is that it's not just the... Um, the employees in your organization that could cause a sexual harassment situation. It could be third-party vendors that keep showing up at your practice, arguably even patients. So let me give an example. If a, if a pharmaceutical rep is coming to the practice and keeps hitting on uh, one of your employees, and this employee perceives it to be a, um, a hostile environment, and they've told you about this, and yet you continue to play golf and invite this, um, this medical device rep or pharmaceutical rep to the practice to um, deliver lunch and provide educational sessions. You've, you've heard about the problem, but you've not taken action. And conceivably, you could be on the receiving end of a sexual harassment lawsuit, even though this rep is not your employee. You, you don't control their activity, but what you do control is their ability to gain access to this employee and make them feel as if they're in a hostile environment. Not dissimilar with a patient. If you have, and it's typically the males that are doing the harassing, but not all the time. But it could be a male patient that makes a, um, an employee in your practice feel uncomfortable always with the sexual innuendo, typically unwelcome, and they keep ramping up or upping their game, or um, they'll, they'll go ahead and um, uh, they'll touch the, uh, the employee inappropriately um, and shrug it off. If the employee has brought this to your attention and that patient is still coming back to your practice, you will need a delicate way to manage this. You know, patient abandonment is a challenge always, but there are ways to do it, and particularly if they're not in the middle of a treatment plan um, and they can't change their behavior, then they need to change who their doctor is. You want to comment oh, on that, Mike? I, I, I agree, and I, I've certainly seen cases, um, I'm, I'm thinking now not of patients, but of uh, referral sources where 
someone who is referring patients to the practice acts inappropriately to to some staff member and um, the the powers that be say yeah i know i'm sorry that guy's creepy he's harmless don't worry about it just keep him happy and that is a a recipe for a lawsuit right that you're subjecting your knowingly subjecting your staff to uh, ongoing sexual harassment you've got problems so the take-home messages from this particular uh, case this real case from Tennessee is uh, be careful about starting any type of relationship where it can be perceived there's a superior inferior um, power play power dynamic um, and the the person on the receiving end uh, believes that there's a quid pro quo, meaning to keep their job or to advance, they need to have sex with the um, with their boss or the or their supervisor. Uh, I would just say, don't do it. It's um, <laughs> more often than not, it turns into a problem. If 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 you really must do that, then I would say it would be ideal if one or the other party stops being an employee yeah, for that find practice. Find a person a new job before you commence that kind of behavior. Exactly. And make sure everybody's on the same page. Yep. Uh, and then the second take home point is take a look at your insurance coverage. If you don't have uh, employ employment practice liability insurance, EPLI, call your broker, get it on your books as quickly as possible. Um, these things often rear their heads without any warning. Um, and even if it's unjustified, even if the allegation against you is entirely unjustified, you still have to hire an attorney to defend yourself. So um, tread carefully, uh, but do so making sure that you do have this type of coverage. Any other comments on this particular case? No, I think case? you covered it well. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice, and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now we wanna protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epison Frank O, news, at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336-358-5587. We offer discounts for large groups, and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility 
which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.